You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Let's look for just a few moments today at Mark chapter 6. So we'll continue through Mark. I think this passage uh, is a beautiful one to look at today. Mark chapter 6. If you remember last time we were in Mark, two weeks ago, we looked at the beheading of John the Baptist. And that was a fun Christmas message to think about, uh, the beheading of John the Baptist. Um, But if you remember in context, Jesus had sent his disciples. He'd been rejected in his hometown, first of all. And then uh, he sends his disciples out on their first mission trip. He sends them two by two to all these different towns. And then he gives them authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases and proclaim the kingdom. And they do it. They actually uh, are able to pull it off. And uh, and now we get the opportunity when they return and what happens after that. So um, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 43, 44. And uh, let me just read this. This will be up on the screen as well. There's Bibles on the tables. um, So whichever way works best for you. Um, But here's what it says. The apostles returned to Jesus, and he told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, They said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set them before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. It's just the men, not even counting the women and children, 5,000 men. So this is a massive, massive event. So I just want to look, I just want to walk through this passage, and I I want to just point out Jesus to us. That's the most important thing. Jesus is always the main character in Scripture, and here particularly, uh, we'll talk about some of the details in the story, but ultimately we want to have our eyes on Jesus. What do we learn about Jesus, about his heart for his people? And I just want to point out in the first Uh, In the first verse, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So we just see that as they came back, Jesus celebrated his minister's faithfulness. If we go back to uh, chapter 6, verse, let's see, what is it? Um, Verse 12, it says they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. He sent them on a dangerous mission and they obeyed. And then when they came back, Jesus celebrated with them. They shared testimonies of what God had done for them. And so I just have a question for us, and maybe we actually, if we wanted to, pass around the mic, or we don't have to, but would love to just pause for just a second and just think about in the last year or the last, just the recent months, 
what are some things that we could celebrate that God has done among us? They're gathering together with Jesus and they're celebrating as they come to the end of this mission trip and enter into a new, a new chapter in the Bible, so to speak, or in, in, the, in the story of Jesus. Um, they celebrated. They told Jesus what they had done and they celebrated it for a moment. So what are some things that have been done or said in 2023 that we can celebrate and share? So actually, I'm, this is interactive. I'm opening it up right now. Anyone have a brief testimony of something God did in us, through us, for us, around us? Yeah, newlyweds. You have much to celebrate, right? Yeah, a new, a new life together, new marriage, new home. Amen. That's great. There's a few, few of you that can say that. They beat you to it. They get... Ditto. Anything else? I won't belabor this real long, but I do. This is an opportunity. New great grandbabies? Great grandbabies. Oh my goodness. Amen. Amen. As you should be. As you should be. Yeah. Grandbaby. Great grandbaby. They are great. And you're a great grandmother in every sense of the word. You found this church? Yeah. There's lots of churches. Yeah, we're so grateful that you have stuck with us and joined us. We're really grateful for that. Thank you. I believe so. And God's not done with us yet. That's encouraging. Grateful for your house? Health. health, okay. Yeah, good health, yeah. That's something we're grateful for. Yeah, we can't take that for granted. What's that? Yeah, amen. Amen, yeah. 10,000 miracles at least. Yeah, that, that God would gather this people together on this, the Lord's Day. Each person around you that's put their faith and tri- trust in Christ is a miracle of God's grace. I mean, even if they haven't, they are a miracle made in God's image. But then also to be born twice, right? To be born again by a new and living cre- uh, a new and living hope. Amen. That's great. We also see that not only does Jesus celebrate his minister's faithfulness, but he also invites them to rest with him. Look at that in verses 31 and 32. The apostles returned to Jesus. He told them all that he had done and taught. And, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Just sweet of Jesus. It's not just what they can do for him, but what he is going to do and tend to them. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. We have felt that some with kids in three different schools <laughs> all these schools oh we don't have time to eat dinner like we just gotta and so that's not a new feeling and among Jesus's people Jesus's people are busy people because there's so many needs and God has given us tasks to do but there's also a 
a, uh, a need to rest. And so Jesus calls his disciples, his, his ministers. He not only celebrates their faithfulness, but invites them to rest with him. And that's a sweet thing, that we get to rest with Jesus. If we've come to faith in Jesus, we rest with him. But then we also see in verses 33 and 34 that Jesus sees and feels his people's condition. Look at verses, chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. Now many of them, now many saw them going and recognized them. Now this is probably the people who heard the message and, the, and received the ministry of these, these disciples as they went out. They were received, they had good ministry happen, and then as they left to go be with Jesus, these people went, well, I want to go too. And so we just see the effectiveness of their ministry that thousands, thousands now want to go be with Jesus. That's pretty awesome because of the ministry of these disciples. Many of them, many saw them going and recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So these people ran around the lake to beat Jesus and his disciples across the lake. So this would have been just a, almost a comical thing to see thousands of people gathering to want to be with Jesus. And when he went ashore, just notice what Jesus does. Notice some of the verbs here. He saw a great crowd. So Jesus is paying attention. He had compassion on them. He feels something in his heart towards them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So again, their ministry gathered a huge response. Lots of people want to come and be with Jesus. And they're coming from all over. They're running. They're, they're abandoning whatever they're doing to just go be with Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, that's where they want to be. And he sees them. He sees them in their condition. And then what does he feel when he sees these people? Broken Israel, desperate people, sinners, all of them. What does he feel? Does he feel anger? Does he feel disappointment? What does he feel? He sees, he sees them and he feels in his heart compassion. Greek word, splagizomai. That's a fun, fun one to say. And it literally means a turning in the gut, a turning of the intestines. Like he feels it, like viscerally this feeling of, of the people. He looks at them in their condition and it, it, it turns his stomach. He feels so deeply for them and, and their spiritual condition. He determines that what he sees in them is that they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost, they're scattered, they're vulnerable. And so he, he doesn't see them, he's not disappointed in them, they're coming to him. But he just sees how desperate and needy they are. And this is really an indictment on the Jewish leaders at the time. They don't have shepherds. They're like sheep without a shepherd. God's people are without leadership and care. This kind of reminds us back to Ezekiel chapter 34, 493-ish, I think, B.C., where Ezekiel, a prophet, is speaking to God's people. They're carried off into exile, into Babylon. And, um, and God gives this indictment. And here's what he, he, he basically calls out Israel's leaders for not shepherding God's people. I entrusted you to the care of these people, um, to care for these people, and you have not done that. You have used them for yourself. You have not gone after them. You have not cared for them. You have slaughtered them. You have used them. You have abandoned them. And then he makes this promise in Ezekiel chapter 34, God does. To his disobedient people who are in exile. Like they do not deserve any kindness from God at all. Their leaders have been, mis have been abusing them. There's so much that's both sad and uh, there's judgment and there's um, abuse going on here. In Ezekiel 34, 11, here's what God says. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out, seeks, seeks out man, that's hard. As a shepherd seeks out his flock and he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep 
and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered and on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. Verse 14, I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, says the Lord God. Verse 22, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd and I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. You see this promise? That though human leaders have failed God's people, the human shepherds have scattered the sheep, they're lost, they're in exile, and now Jesus is on the mountain, and God has come. The promise that God will come and gather his people is coming true at this very moment. The shepherd has shown up, and he is seeking seeing the condition of the flock, and he's sad. He's full of compassion for the sheep, because they're helpless without a shepherd. Some of the characteristics of this shepherd that God will do. God will come, I will come, and I will do it myself. I will gather my people. I myself will search for them because they're lost. I will rescue them because they're entangled in sin and darkness. I will bring them out, he says in verse 13 of Ezekiel. I will bring them out from the peoples. I will gather them. I will pull them out of the world. I will make a new assembly. I will make a new church. I will gather them. They will be a gathered people. They will be a flock. I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them. How many times does he say, I will feed them on the mountains, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. On the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land, and they shall lie down in good grazing land. I myself will be their shepherd. I myself will make them lie down. I myself will feed them. I will feed them. I will be their shepherd, and they will lie down in peace. So we see the heart of God for his people. So he sees the plight that they're in, he sees the sin that they're entangled in, and he's filled with compassion for them. And he's like, I'm going to do something about this. Where your human leaders have failed, I will not fail. I will come and shepherd you myself. Enter Jesus 500 years later, and what does he do? The flock is gathered, he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he goes, I will be their shepherd. And one of the characteristics of the shepherd when he will come is he will feed them. So now these hungry sheep are on the mountainside, And Jesus is going to what? Feed them in two ways. He's going to feed them spiritually by teaching. We see that. His response to their helplessness, their sheep without a shepherd, Mark 6.34, he began to teach them many things. They had spiritual hunger. They had not been spiritually fed. And so he begins to teach them. That's where he starts. And as he teaches them and teaches them for hours and hours and hours, the day flies by. And now there's a physical hunger too. Not just their spiritual need, but their physical need. He's going to be a shepherd who cares not just for them spiritually, but for them physically. He cares about their physical well-being, but more importantly, their spiritual well-being. And so I have this question, I think, that's up there. When we look at our church, or we look at the Rapid City community, the North Rapid downtown community, the place where God has put us, what do we see? When Jesus looked out at the crowds that were around him, he was filled with compassion and his assessment was that they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what would Jesus say? What, would, what do we see? Do we have the eyes of Jesus for the people in our community? And I'll just open that up. When we look around, what do we see? 
we look around the community that God has put us in, if Jesus were to be with us and look around our neighborhood and look around among us, what would, what would be his, what would he see, what would he feel? Just open that up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think his opinion would change much, right? Yeah. What do you think? Anyone else? Comment? Thought? We all do. Yeah. Yeah, and what wells up in our heart when we see that? I can't believe, I can't believe this situation they've gotten themselves into. They kind of get what they deserve. Like there, there can be a little self-righteousness that can bubble up of going, man, if they just had it together, you know, things would be different. And that might be true, but it's also going, yeah, well, <laughs> we don't have it all together either, right? The Lord looks at us with compassion and came to be our shepherd. And I think, I think, yeah, we need to have the eyes of Jesus. So part of why this is written down is so that we can get into the end of the head of Jesus here, right? Like he's, and I think he wants his disciples to see this. I didn't want you to just go to the towns and minister to them and then withdraw from them. No, bring them with you to me, to Jesus, to the shepherd, and I will shepherd you and them together, right? Because they're in the same boat. It's these, even these ministers that he sent out, these apostles, these disciples, I think he's including them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And he came and he called them to himself. And now through them, he's calling others to himself. And now they're here. And what is Jesus' first thought? It's not disappointment. It's not judgment. I mean, all those things are, are things that God rightly says that he feels towards sinful humanity. But we see his, his, his first instinct here is to have compassion on them and to be the shepherd they lack. Right? Our human leaders let us down. We have a spiritual shepherd. We have, a, we have a, an eternal shepherd, a true shepherd. So it's good for us to just see the heart of God for us and the heart of God that's meant to be reflected through us, right? So not only does he see and feel his people's condition, but he meets their needs. He sees their spiritual vulnerability, their need for someone to seek them, their need for someone to rescue them, to bring them out, to gather, to help them lie down and rest, like just that Ezekiel 34 that we see fulfilled here. That Psalm 23 that we read before, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He walks me through death. He puts a table in the presence of my enemies. Like even in the middle of adversity, he's providing for me and he's calming me and he's protecting me. A table in the midst of my enemies is crazy talk. And yet I can have that kind of peace in the midst of adversity and danger. So Jesus comes to be that and he meets their need. Verses 34 and through 37, look at the last part of verse 34. He began to teach them many things. So he doesn't just see their condition. He feels something about it, and then he does something. God doesn't just sit back and go, hey, get it together, and then maybe I'll be interested in you. No, you come to me in all of your mess, and I will teach you. And he meets their need, and their need is to know more about God. To know more about God, God's ways, God's character, God's kindness, 
He teaches them. They need to know God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's why we do this crazy thing called preaching and Bible study. It's because we need the word. We need the teaching of Jesus. And so when he looks at them in the midst of all of their physical needs, all of this stuff, their most important need is to see God, to have Jesus teach them. And so he does. In verse 35, when it grew late, the disciples came and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat. And he said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, that's not a fair question, Jesus. (laughs) That's not a fair assignment, right? Like, okay, they're like sheep without a shepherd. I'm shepherding them. You guys, you guys try to meet their need. Well, that's overwhelming. And I I can feel that. I can look at the community around me. I'll just look at, just look at my own family. Just look at, like, it it feels overwhelming when we see the needs around us, right? And, And God is calling them. And they're brought to a point of their own desperation. They say, shall we go and now buy 200 denarii? A denarii is a day's wage. 200 days wages worth of bread to give them to eat. That's how much it would cost to feed these people just to get them to the next meal. That's how many people are here. No one has this kind of money. And even if you had this kind of money, what Walmart is open that has this kind of food available, right? Like this is an impossible task, Jesus. You have led them, you've led us into a dead end, right? And now you're asking us to meet their needs. We can't meet their needs. And Jesus then says, Jesus cares both for their physical hunger and spiritual hunger, but he prioritizes the spiritual. Jesus calls his disciples to meet their needs. And I think it reveals their inability to fully care for God's people. Like if they're going to care for God's people and be his representatives, they're going to have to depend on Jesus. They're going to need resources beyond themselves. That's part of what was bad about Israel's leaders before is that they began to think they could do it in and of themselves. They thought maybe they knew better. They began to add their own laws. They began to think that it was about them. They began to use the sheep. They began to abuse the sheep. They didn't go and seek them out. They didn't rescue them. And Jesus goes, no. So I think it's a, it's a, shepherding, it's a shepherding lesson for these guys to go, they are more than you can handle but they're not more than I can handle, right? And then we get to Jesus accepts a poor boy's humble offering. Mark chapter 6, verse 38 through 41. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Okay, so you disciples are insufficient to care for these people. I'm the only one qualified to be their actual shepherd, right? However, you bring me what you got. Quit (laughs) Quit whining about what you don't have, which is 200 denarii and enough bread, Quit worrying about how you fall short. You're not, you're, you know, don't. That wasn't the point. The point was to make them humble, but it wasn't to make them quit. You bring me what you have. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And when they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. <laughs> two fish for them all, right? Probably not giant fish. He divided the fish and somehow 5,000 men plus women and children, I don't know, eight, ten thousand 10,000 people potentially. Jesus takes what they have to offer and he makes it sufficient, right? Isn't that awesome? We know that it's a little boy. Mark doesn't tell us that, but John does. In John chapter 6, verse 9, it says, There was a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many, the disciples say. So there's only one little boy who's part of this like, like rally to go see Jesus, who thought ahead to bring a lunch. 
And if you think about this boy, going, man, he's barely got enough to get him through. He, he handled his business. Like, he's the only one in this whole crowd, it seems like, who handled his business, who, prepa- who planned ahead. Why should I share with these people? They, they wasted their opportunity. They didn't plan ahead. They should know better. The little boy, right? He could, he could stingily kind of go, no, this is for me. I planned ahead. This is mine. This is for me. I, I deserve this, right? I earned this. I brought this. And then when Jesus goes, hey, would you give that up to me? Well, it's not that much. It's not going to help all these people. Well, you just give me what you have, right? You just give me what you have. Well, then I won't have anything. Well, you give me what you have. And Jesus blesses it. And then somehow it ends up being enough. We see something pretty amazing here. It's like a new Moses. Jesus and this new, kind of this new family of faith is out in the wilderness. And who will feed us? There will be bread on the ground in the morning. I will feed you. I will be your shepherd. I will feed you. The Psalm 23 shepherd, I will lead you. John 6 goes on to say that Jesus himself is the bread of life. And so here's, I guess, a question for us to just think about. What are the five loaves and two fish that we have to offer to Jesus that maybe we worked hard for? Like we planned ahead. We thought about that. Like this, we've, we've worked hard to get ourselves in the life situation that we are. And you know what? Other people should have made better decisions, right? And maybe Jesus is saying, well, would you give me what you have? Would you be willing to put that in my hands? Yeah, but it's not very much. Like, look at all of the needs. How can I really make a difference here, right? You just put that in my hands. You give me what you have. And you trust me. So, so what about us? What are the five loaves and two fish that we have to offer to Jesus. We don't have 200 denarii. We don't have near the resources to meet all the needs that are in our neighborhood, right? I don't, I'm not even just talking financially. I'm talking time, energy, wisdom. Like this, isn't, this isn't a guilt trip to get you to give more. That's not, that's not where this is going, but and maybe that's part of it. But it's like, what is it as we think about, okay, we're just a little church. And we're just right here. We got our signs. We got hard chairs we got a very ordinary, like what, what, what's the point? Like what, what do we have to offer Jesus in light of so many needs around us, in our families, in our homes, in our community? And maybe we would be better off just sort of like, well, you know what, let's just take care of ourselves. Let's just eat our lunch. And like, well, no, what if, what if we were to take what we have, our five loaves and two fish, as insignificant as they might seem, and we were to put those in the hands of Jesus and he were to bless them and he were to make them more, Right? What if, what if that's what Jesus might be calling us to in 2023? So consider for a moment your time, your talent, your treasure. What is it that you have? As they're surveying, they're out on the mountainside. Does anybody have any food? Like anybody? Like Jesus is just wondering, is there any food out here? Like what if that was like, okay, Redeeming Grace Church, is there any, what resources do you have that could be used for kingdom work? What do you have? Do you have, do you have time in your schedule do you have a skill that maybe God could use? Do you, have, do you have some finances that maybe you could, you know, like do you have, what, what do you have? What do you have that you could put a hand to Jesus that could help, that, that might help more than just yourself, right? What can you invest in the ministry? What can you put in the hands of Jesus and see him multiply? I heard one guy just on a podcast as I was driving home this week that he, uh, what, he has this cool ministry where 
um, college students who are interested in going to the mission field, he helps raise money to pay off their student debt so they can go to the mission field. There's all kinds of criteria to make sure that that, but just kind of a cool ministry actually because that's such a hindrance to missionaries going on the field is college debt. Some of you know the feeling of college debt, right? How much of a hamstring that is and to go to a hard place where you're, maybe you're not going to have very much money and you're going to have to go without things and to have college debt keeps you from taking the gospel to places that you would love to go. And as he tries to stir people up to go, hey, let's get behind Let's get behind freeing these students up so that they can go to the nations and give their life, like literally give their life to helping someone who's never heard the gospel hear the gospel. He said this in the, in the podcast episode. He's, he's like, do you want to know if you have the gift of giving? Here's what he says. He says, log into your bank account and see if there's money there. If there is, you have the gift of giving. God has put something in your hands that's meant for kingdom work, Right? Now, obviously, there's wisdom. You've got responsibilities you need to care for. But I just thought that was an interesting challenge. To go, well, I don't have the gift of giving. Well, what does that mean? Do you have time? Do you have talent? Do you have treasure? Well, then you have the gift of giving because God has put five loaves and two fish in your hand. doesn't feel like much. Later on in this book, he's going to point out a widow who puts two pennies, less than two pennies, in the offering. He goes, hey, everybody pay attention. This woman gave the most. Not by amount, but because of what was in her heart. Does that make sense? So what are the five loaves and the two fish that we could put in Jesus' hands as a church and see him do more ministry than we could ever dream of in our own human ingenuity? What could we peel our fingers off of and offer and go, man, maybe I'm going to go without something that I want. I'm going to go without, like, I worked hard for this. I planned for this. What could I put in Jesus' hands in order that he might do ministry among us? Um, And he doesn't need this, right? He could have multiplied. He could have made stones into bread. He could have done all kinds of things. But he wanted to use what was offered to him and he accepts a poor boy's humble offering to minister to this whole crowd. And maybe God could use a small little church to make a big difference for his kingdom in this community. And maybe he could use college students and newlyweds and retired people, right? And middle schoolers. Maybe, maybe he could use what seems like insignificant. This is not 200 denarii worth of church people. Uh, this is five loaves and two fish kind of p- church people, right? Just the bare, the bare essentials, but in the hands of Jesus, amazing things can happen. And then look, as we close the verses here, he multiplies and sustains their ministry. Mark 6, 42 through 44, and they all ate and were satisfied. So I don't know how this looked, like if he just like pulled a fish out of the basket and now there was another fish, or if they all just ate one molecule and were full, I don't know. We don't, we're not told where the multiplication happened. However, they all ate and they were satisfied. It wasn't just they barely got by. It was that they had everything they needed. They were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Why 12? Any thoughts? One for each of the disciples. And what did he, had just, told, what did he just tell the disciples before? You give them something to eat. We don't have anything, and we certainly don't have enough for them. You put what you have in my hands, right? And actually, I will supply what you need to. So I think this was a lesson to those 12 disciples is that, hey, I sent you out on a mission trip. You're only to take one set of sandals, not take two tunics, and I provided for you, right? Now we're out here in the wilderness. There's nothing out here, and you're actually leaving with more than what you started with, right? This isn't a prosperity gospel thing, but I think it is a blessings kind of thing. It is a blessing to be a minister of God's word to somebody else. 
and to put something in God's hands and go, I am insufficient. I do not have the knowledge or the skill or the time. I don't have all that's needed to help these people follow Jesus. And yet, they end up following Jesus, right? And I'm sustained in the midst of it, right? Jesus says, it's my food to do the work of my Father. And I think that's true of us. Like, man, we are nourished as we serve Jesus. And so I think it was meant to be a lesson. It's going to come up later. Jesus is going to reference this whole uh, baskets full of food um, thing again. But they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And I think Jesus saying to his disciples, I got you. Put what you have in my hands. Go boldly. Serve these people. Love them with everything you have. Shepherd them. And you'll have what you need. I will supply your needs. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The boy gives what he has. Jesus uses it to accomplish the impossible. He actually uses that boy's offering, multiplies it, and actually sustains these ministers. And including Judas, if you can think of that. Including the betrayer, right? Even he. Um, God is even kind here, to even to one who will betray him. And in the caring for people, God also cares for these developing under shepherds, Right? God will care for his people who do ministry to others. So bottom line, just a few bullet points and then we'll pray together and be done. And we'll sing too. But bottom line, here's just five things that come to mind as I think about this passage and the significance of it. Jesus is honored by the regular rhythm of kingdom work and communing rest, right? So let's think about doing our jobs in such a way that honors God. Let's work hard and then let's make sure we we rest. Let's take our days off, but also communing. Let's not think of the Lord's Day and being gathered with the church family. Let's put that in the rest category, not the work category. I think, Joseph, you've, you told me you're, you, you're trying to think more about that, of thinking of being with God's people as part of my rest, a communing rest. So let's, in 2024, think of what that looks like to really work hard, do hard kingdom work, and really rest. And rest individually as we need to but also rest communally. Let's think of ways that we could rest together as a church. Kingdom work together and communing rest together. We see that here. Jesus sees you and knows your need, and he's eager to be your shepherd. Just know that. That when he looks at the crowd, well, I think we're meant to see ourselves in that same crowd. He looks at this same crowd and he goes, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and I am honored. Jesus is honored to be our shepherd. He's happy to be our shepherd. He's not begrudgingly. You didn't sneak into God's flock and he goes, "Ah, I didn't pick you. No, he picked you. He wants you to be part of his flock. He sees you and he feels that compassion. He hurts over what you hurt. He feels what you lack. He knows your hurt. He feels it himself in his gut and he aims to meet your need. Jesus cares about all your needs spiritually first and physically second. Number four, Jesus will take anything you have and multiply it in his service. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses, right? We don't get to take anything with us. But we can send it on ahead. We can invest our time, talent, and treasure on eternal rewards, right? We can send it on ahead. Can't take it with us, but we can send it ahead by investing ourselves, using our homes, using our vehicles, using our schedules strategically. Kingdom work, kingdom rest, not burning ourselves out, but putting our five loaves and two fishes. It's not much, God. I can't give a lot. I don't have a lot of time, but I've got an hour a month that I could invest in someone's life, that I could spend praying, that I could, I've got, I've only got this one $15 Walmart gift card, but I can use it. I could buy someone something, right? I could do something. Put it in his hands. 
Let him bring, let us bring him all that we have as a church, even if it's pathetic and insufficient (laughs) in our eyes. And then let's watch him thank God for it and multiply it. We never know. And we might not know this side of eternity what all God might do with our small little offerings. Let's watch him take all that we have and meet the needs of people around us spiritually and physically. And we'll find that he's also meeting our needs at the same time. We walk away with a basket as well. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And then lastly, Jesus will provide for you as you entrust your whole self to him. I think we find that. I think that's the whole point of the baskets thing. You put this thing in my hands and I will care for you. I will take care of you. Jesus will provide for you as you entrust your whole self to him. They're kind of arguing with Jesus. Jesus, do the math. We've checked with the accountants. We don't have the money to do this. Yeah, you do. (laughs) You do. You have me. We don't do math quite that same way. All right? So let's find that we're nourished far more in humble service than we ever could be in stingy self-effort. It is a joy to serve. It's a joy to serve our brothers and sisters. It's a joy to set up chairs and tear them down. It's a joy to make coffee and pour half of it back out. Like it's, it's a joy to give a ride. It's a joy to make a phone call. It's a joy, it's a joy to serve. Amen, Nora. That's my signal to be done. But let's delight in the Lord and let's delight in serving. Let's delight in being generous and let's just marvel at what God is going to do for us in 2024. And remember, it's all about Jesus. The most important part of this whole passage is what he sees, what he feels, what he provides. This is not about the boy. This is not about the fish and the bread. This is not even about the disciples. This is about what Jesus can do when people come to him with their whole selves, trusting only in him. And so let's be those same kind of people. Let me pray for us. In fact, actually, why don't around our tables, just whatever kind of sticks out to you through what we've discussed or prayed about today, would you around your tables just take a couple minutes to pray with your brothers and sisters there about 2024, about what's going on in our lives. Pray, maybe one of these points from the message, just pray that that would be a mark of our church, that that would be something that we see in Jesus. Just pick one thing. Pray around your tables. I'm going to give you just like maybe three minutes to just pray. Let's spend some time praying for the Lord's work among us in 2024. And then, uh, and then I'll close us in prayer and the band will lead us in a final song. Ready, set, go.
Oh God, we come before you and we thank you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that when we read about Jesus in the Gospels, we can know that it's that same Jesus that we come to. And God, we thank you for uh, the fact that we can know that Jesus celebrates uh, his minister's faithfulness. That when he sends us out and we attempt, whether we're successful or not successful, you are uh, are, um, glorified in our faithfulness. So Lord, help us to just do um, the right thing, to do the next right thing, and to not worry so much about how fruitful or how much of an impact it's making, but just delight in the fact that being faithful is pleasing to you. And so it help us to continue to be faithful. We do want to be fruitful, but ultimately we want to be found faithful. God, we thank you that Jesus is the kind of master who invites us to rest with him. He doesn't drive us like a taskmaster. He doesn't drive us into the ground. He doesn't run us. He doesn't use us up like batteries and discard us. But he calls us to be part of his work and then, and then is, is pleased to rest with us. So it help us to know that. Help us to know that good balance of working hard for the Lord in whatever assignments we have and then resting well in the Lord, knowing that you are pleased with us, not because of our works, but because of what Christ has done for us. God, we thank you that Jesus sees and feels our condition. He knows our hearts. He knows everything about us and yet still is filled with compassion. He sees all the things that we have done that are wrong. He sees all the wrong that has been done for us, uh, done against us. He feels those things and then he speaks to them. He teaches us many things. Help us, God, to be the kind of people who love to hear Jesus' voice through his word. Help us to be a people who um, read his word daily, study his word together with one another, love to hear his word preached and read and sung. So, Lord, help us to realize that Jesus shepherds us by his word and to love his shepherding by loving his word. And God, we thank you that you meet our physical needs as well. And I pray that you would help us to be like that humble boy in John chapter 6 that's in the background here in Mark. And God, help us just be willing to put whatever it is in your hands. We might go hungry. Uh, we don't know what will happen. Um, but when we put it in your hands, Lord, we know that you will do something. That You are happy to receive the humble offerings of your poor servants. And then you are... Um, you delight in making more of them than we could so that we, so that you would get the glory and not us. So Lord, help us to live in such a way that we're totally dependent on you, totally dependent on you and help us to take big risks, uh, to invest in big problems and to, uh, to, to give of ourselves, our time, our talent, our treasures in order that we might see uh, you be glorified in the lives of other people. And we pray that we would also be more satisfied than we ever would have been by hanging on to it ourselves. And God, we thank you for all of your good gifts to us. Thank you for being the bread of life that himself has come down from heaven. Thank you for being the true shepherd who has come and cared for your people, who's gathered us, who's set us free, who's brought us out of darkness into light. God, we thank you for being that good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.